0: Hello, and welcome once again to Episode 9 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code on our brand new show. My name is Dimitri Buñol, and I'll be your host for this episode, and I'm joined today by my fellow completionists, Ben. Hey, hey. And Spencer. Hey, guys. Uh, So before we start with our topics, I actually wanted to give a quick shout-out to the A14 chip that just had its... its, Debut, uh, I guess. Yeah, yeah, spoiled on Geekbench, (laughs) Um, and it far outpaces in single core performance any Mac Apple has ever made at like fifteen hundred something, which is like insane. Yeah, Uh, so impressive. uh, I and I think they also said that it was like a two point nine nine gigahertz, which is essentially three gigahertz chip. And I constantly remember how Apple ditched PowerPC because like three gigahertz on. A laptop was not ever going to cut it with the G5, <laughs> uh, and here we go having a three gigahertz chip on an iPad without a fan, um, and yeah. soon to be iPhone, and soon to be every Mac with a fan, which is probably going to be even more insane. Um, but I'm probably just getting excited for no reason. So uh, I thought that was just insanely cool, uh, and I am so excited for new Macs when they eventually do yeah. uh, get uh, released. Uh so on to our real topics uh Spencer can you tell us a bit more about uh accessibility uh and iOS development?
1: Yeah, so uh, I, this whole idea kind of stemmed from um I think multiple times on this podcast itself and uh, just in kind of normal dev conversation um the the topic of accessibility comes up fairly often. Um I remember going to WWDC in 2018 was it? Yeah, I think so. Um, Or 19. I can't remember now. Um, Where they showed the video of uh, the guy that uh, was just speaking to his Mac to do development. And I just thought that was such a cool thing. And um, this whole topic of accessibility, I think is really cool. Because uh, when I lived um, in Salt Lake City, I would see uh, this one guy all the time when I was driving home from work that would be using his iPhone, uh, he w- he was blind, but and it would just talk to him and he would just be using his iPhone uh, while I was waiting for the bus. Um, and so uh, I just think that, you know, I-, I wanted to kind of have this conversation about accessibility of, you know, uh, why it's so important and what we can do as iOS developers to sort of uh, further cater towards that um one thing that we, we taught at Lambda school, which wasn't like a huge, uh, thing with accessibility to the point where, uh, you know, we're helping, uh, people that are, are blind or anything, but it was uh dynamic type even mm-hmm. where, um, there was this tweet and I tried to find it for the podcast and I couldn't, couldn't quite find it. But, um, so I think it was, I want to say it was the person that runs fast lane. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. Um, he said about 20 or 25 percent of all users of ios are not on like the standard font size for ios and i was like that's that's a shockingly large number and maybe some of those people are just they want more text on their screen but i know people like my grandpa that has an iphone his is just maxed all the way so he can even see anything because his eyesight is so poor um and so there are all of these like many many different ways that we can approach accessibility and add that to our apps and i just kind of wanted to talk about you know um what what do you need to do as an ios developer to make your app more accessible to um to other people um you know even including i don't know if you'd maybe consider like uh localization uh, a part of accessibility but maybe that could be a part of the conversation too
0: So I think accessibility is an interesting topic because it doesn't necessarily focus only on disabled individuals. It's literally making it accessible to every individual. As you brought up, localization, uh, making sure that uh, your app is international as much as possible, that plays a part into accessibility. Uh, We tend to think of accessibility in terms of voiceover only, which is for blind individuals to be able to interact with an interface without seeing that interface, but there's voice control as well. You can see perfectly well, but you can't manipulate the device with your hands Mm -hmm. or with even a control pad um, or switch control. So you would go ahead and use your voice to go ahead and do so. Um, So it's all about making sure that software can be used in a variety of different ways Um, and oftentimes different ways at the same time. Like Just because you can use your hands doesn't mean you can't use voice control. Some people have turned it on so that way they can use it in circumstances where they can't use their hands or maybe they're using their hands for something else. Um, And uh, it's really neat that voice control will actually know if you're looking at the device to be able to turn on or off so that way you know which devices uh, should be active when you're speaking to it. Um, So uh, accessibility is all about making sure that everyone and anyone can go ahead and use a device in a multiple multitude of different ways. Um, so I think it's important to think of it from that point of view, uh, as much as possible. Um, but it's especially important for disabled users because that is their only opportunity to go ahead and use, um, a piece of software, an app, or even a device. I mean, that's kind of why Apple devices are so highly regarded in, Uh, in these communities is because they go out of their way to make it possible for them to be able to use something. Uh, And there's not many companies that go ahead and do that. Um, So we're kind of just piggybacking off of that system as developers, uh, and we're taking advantage that it's really easy to add accessibility features um, and to do it right. I mean, it doesn't even take very much development effort, so we have no excuse uh, to not do that. Um, so I think it's important that uh, we as developers do everything that we can to add accessibility features uh, to our apps because it it really isn't uh, very much work. I remember, like, at Lambda, um, there was one lesson where we were teaching about unit testing, uh, mm-hmm. and rather than teach about unit testing, I always focused on let's add accessibility features and then be surprised about the fact that we have unit, uh, like... uh, What's that called? Not unit testing. UI tests. Um, UI testing. UI testing. Uh, We have UI tests for free, after putting in a tiny bit of work to make sure our apps are accessible. Um, And I remember a lot of students were didn't even know that that was possible, Um, Mm -hmm. and most people don't know that that is possible. Um, So I think accessibility uh, is really easy to add. You just need to know what it is uh, and be open to understanding different people's circumstances and how they go ahead and use devices um, and then you too are can add those features and you too can take advantage of those features when you want to use them um, Ben do you have any thoughts on this
2: Yeah I think uh, all, all that's been said is certainly is is uh, good advice and it is it is truly impressive kind of how much work Apple has done on the platform to make to really integrate these these features, as first-party features, they are thought of and implemented um, right alongside and sort of at with the same level of importance as other major features. I think probably, I mean, I you know, I certainly don't know this for a fact, but it seems like the iPhone and the iOS platform are. It's probably one of the most accessible software. Uh, sort of ecosystems available, you know, to date. Um, a ton of work has, been, has gone into it. If you just go into the, the accessibility section of the menu of system preferences on iOS, there's just this huge array of things that it can do. And even kind of jumping in here into the, just in the display and text size section. So even if we just simply sort of narrow it down to those kinds of features, it has things like bolding text, Of course you can go larger text so like uh since we're talking about dynamic text where you can make the text larger Um, button shapes on off labels reducing the transparency increasing the contrast stuff like that the the really the things that everyone always talks about with accessibility features on ios when it comes to developing tend to be voiceover like you said dimitri um, and and i think to a lesser extent uh, but still important dynamic text Um, But even beyond that, things like making sure that things like bold text and reducing the transparency and increasing the contrast, making sure that those things also work and don't get kind of screwed up inside your app when you're, you know, with the design that you've come up with are all super important. My dad is in his early 60s and He has sort of your standard older guy vision where he's got pretty good vision in general, but his close-up vision is is not as good. It's just related to age. Um, And so he has, I believe, his text a little bit bigger. But he has things like um, uh, bold text is turned on. He's got things like the on-off labels turned on. I think button shapes are turned on for him because he finds it just easier to find things that are buttons by having button shapes around them what a what a radical idea <laughs> like for and that's a dig at was 7 uh but um but stuff like that so he's got those things turned on uh and even those things it's important to make sure that your design isn't so kind of weird that it can that it then affects the ability of those things to work and and something that i've kind of liked to tell anyone who wants to talk about it whether it be you know a student or whatever is that accessibility when you when you include those features in your app you make sure that they work you're you're like you said Dimitri, you're you're helping everyone right accessibility features help everyone not just you know the subset of people who truly need them obviously mm-hmm. it's most important to implement it for them but but it the the dividends right really are paid to everyone it makes the the app better and I think when you approach design from an accessibility focused, Direction, or at least at least you include accessibility concerns in your design process. You make the design genu- like genuinely better, ha- you know, compared with not having done that. Right, compared with just designing it without those features being considered. Not only do you make it better for accessibility, but you I think you just make it better because it forces you to think about uh, not just is this pretty or is this cool or is this feature. Uh, or this UI design is this flashy, right? That that can that can sometimes be kind of a a concern unto itself, and and I find that to be you know not always in service of what the user really needs. Uh, and and not that you need to make the most boring utilitary apps out there. You can have winsy, but you want to make sure that you do it in a way that is responsible, not just um, so that it doesn't you know what i don't like is when uis tend to sort of be flashy for no reason right and like and i don't have i don't have any particular accessibility needs myself but even if it were just too flashy and too too much like stuff going on it's just annoying right and so those tends kinds of things tend to be um, a little bit lessened when you are considering accessibility because it turns out they're just sort of flash flashy nonsense that really isn't in necessarily in service of anything. Um, and uh, and that tends to slow things down and make it not as efficient. So really, I think I can't think of a single reason why accessibility, including it in your thought process, is really a bad thing. Like it, it just, it always leads, it almost always leads to better designs overall, better accessibility for everyone. And then most critically, it helps to ensure that your apps work for, for everyone, right? Including those people with disabilities who you know, may not be able to use your app if you didn't include those features, but because you did, they can, and that's truly amazing. I mean, there's that video from, it might be the same one you're talking about, uh, Spencer, from, I think it was from last year's dub or something, where there was the guy in the wheelchair who, he it showed him, like, uh, using his phone and his wheelchair to go places that he maybe otherwise couldn't go and to, t- you know, take pictures of, of landscapes and just sort of interact in the, in the world in a way that would be much more difficult to do without that technology. And it's just like so cool that tech can now help people like that, uh, you know, live such a, such a wonderful and full life in that way where they get to experience things that would just be much more difficult to do without. Um, And that's, that's awesome. And, and, and we should always strive to make sure that uh, our apps are, are available to everyone, right. And and are accessible to everyone.
0: And something that you should definitely keep in mind is don't make assumptions about, how yeah. your users are going to make an app, are mm-hmm. going to use your app, uh, and this goes for the quote-unquote regular software development cycle as well. Don't structure your app in such a rigid way that there's only one way to use it. Try to think of as many different ways that you can organize the app for different use cases, and then you will be surprised by how your users use your product. Yeah. Uh, but this is doubly important for accessibility features like VoiceOver. You might assume, well, this is a blind person. They're not going to be looking at the app, so I don't need to add certain things in. That is patently false. Someone who is using voiceover might have difficulty seeing the app for the most part, but that doesn't mean that they're completely uh, oblivious to what is on screen. Don't make that assumption. You might have um, someone who, uh, due to diabetes, can't see major portions of their vision, but they can still see like, voiceover tremendously will help that person navigate their phone without, like, as, like, a superpower. I don't know if you've ever watched an actual blind person use their phone, but they have a screen, screen curtain on. So when their phone lasts forever, because the screen is never on, uh, and then they just slide their finger around the mm-hmm. UI, uh, and they're listening to everything through their AirPods, uh, and Siri is on max, Like, yeah. she is speaking so quickly. Yeah. Um, and they yeah. are able to navigate through an app just as fast as... Like you and
2: I, or faster. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen yeah, videos yeah, where right. it's tr- like Siri is talking to them, probably three or four x with what she would maybe talk to one of us, and they are just mm-hmm. flying through that UI and getting so much yeah. done. And have you? I don't. I didn't even know this, but there's there's a. Uh, I think it's sort of. I don't know if it's a braille key. It's not a braille keyboard because yeah, it's not three D. Yeah, but it's a keyboard it like that you. And so you hold it. Uh, the one that the woman that I saw use it, she held her phone where her screen was away from her. Facing away because she doesn't need to see the screen, and she was tapping basically oh. th- her index, middle, and ring fingers on either side of the screen with three three buttons. Almost kind of like how if you've ever watched a stenographer you use a that stenographer keyboard where it's like these weird combinations of button presses cr- produce words. I don't. It's not that, but it's something kind of vaguely similar to that. And she mm-hmm. was flying through, like s- sending a message and typing things out, and and it was it was really really impressive. It's it's basically an entirely different way to use your phone, but one that is just as pr- can be just as productive and just as mm-hmm. interesting and 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 fulfilling as you know us poking at the screen, looking at stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. And like for things like cameras, you might think, oh, a blind person would have no use for a camera. Guess what? Blind people want to share moments with everyone else, yeah. uh, and they're doubly aware that everyone can see things that they can't. Um, right. So, the camera app will read out and tell the user what it's being pointed at, yeah. um, and it will help them get a frame and shot. Uh, and there's no reason why a blind person wouldn't be able to do that and to use that because they can take a picture. And guess what? When they go and review that picture, it can tell them what they were looking at. Yeah. Like, it has the same meaning. To them as it does to us, right. uh, and it has the same potential uh, to be shared and to be appreciated by others um, in just the same way. And in that same way, if you share a picture, you should make sure your app can go ahead and describe that picture to yeah. voiceover users, uh, because otherwise, uh, it won't be it won't be possible for them to appreciate what's in there. I mean, Twitter for the longest time has always had an accessibility feature where you can add a description to pictures, but most people don't know that that exists, so they don't leave a description, but even that little thing as a regular user, you can be part of uh, the conversation.
2: Yeah, I mean, and as machine learning and vision and stuff gets better, right, and it can do more to recognize more things that will empower people who have low vision or no vision to see, mm-hmm. you know, to understand even more about their their world around them. Uh, in iOS 14, I think it's a 14 feature. They just added this sound recognition feature um, where it's so it says here in the description on the iPhone, it says, Your iPhone can, will continuously listen for certain sounds and using on device intelligence will notify you when sounds may be recognized. Um, sound recognition should not be relied upon in circumstances where you may be harmed or injured. So it's not, you know, they don't want you to use it in an emergency. But, but things like um, what I heard was that things like, I think, doorbells and uh other type of stuff even to the point of maybe even recognizing things that might be dangerous again fire alarms yeah you don't want you to rely on it but like but that it's it's a sort of the seed of a technology where it could start to recognize things for you know if you had low hearing or if you were deaf if your phone could alert you, or even you could get a tap on your watch that something maybe harmful is even happening, or even just the doorbell's ringing or something, uh, that's yeah. you know a huge help to, to to people like that to be able to to deal with those situations and and handle them. Um, and so again, kind of a common in this case, not vision; it's more of a machine learning plus maybe like audio recording, um, but the same kind of thing where they just keep. And Apple didn't need to add that; they didn't need to to continue to push forward the The accessibility feature, but they are they're they're and they're using the tech that they're the base tech that they're building like machine learning to then enable accessibility specific features, which I think is awesome, yeah, and you can definitely tell that because they're doing all of those things
1: it is important for for them as a whole uh, because they know like like you've all said uh, it does make the user experience much better, and I think that's so cool that. Uh, you know, you can just swipe around on the screen to use the phone or use the, Mm -hmm. the Braille keypad or however it is. Yeah. There are all, all of these different ways to do it. So I guess the question then is as a developer that has maybe never, maybe never done this before, like what would be like the easiest way to get the most out of adding some accessibility to your app? Like what would you guys, if you had maybe a limited amount of time uh, what would you do in order to make your app the most accessible as possible?
0: Well, this is tremendously easier if you have a standard UI app. Yeah. So on the Mac, this is like the easiest thing in the world. You just design your UI and you have a standard UI. Um, on iOS, it's less so because UIKit is kind of like, I don't have a standard UI, I kind of right. make make your UI look like what you want to make it. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you don't go gung-ho on that uh, path of making everything custom... Uh, it's really easy to just add accessibility labels to the things that don't have them. Um, and most importantly, test your app. Like, turn on VoiceOver. Yep. Learn how yep. VoiceOver works. There are tons of gestures and interactions that people use in different ways. Don't just make an assumption that you know the basics about VoiceOver, and therefore people are going to use your app that way. You're going to be very surprised. Um, but use it so, yourself
1: as if Yeah. Turn the, screen that the on. way you, that you used it.
0: Yeah, if you don't know where things are on the screen, then you did not do enough to make your app usable (laughs) to people who can't see what's on the screen, right? Yeah. Uh, So, like, you can turn on those features to prevent you from uh, using that handicap of being able to see what's on the screen to remember where everything is. Um, Mm -hmm. You should not be able to get lost in a way. Um, Just as if you were handed a random screen on your phone, you would know how to navigate and get around. Um, So that is the same for voiceover. Uh, For... Uh, things like dynamic type, make sure that you're using standard labels. Like It's right. sometimes as easy as that. Uh, getting auto layout hooked up correctly, making sure things are in a scroll view, uh, even if you don't need that scroll view for the most part, um, is also going to be tremendously useful because as the texts go large and then even larger once you crank up the accessibility dynamic text sizes, uh, right. then you can make sure that everything kind of flows. Maybe have an alternate layout depending on uh, if the text is so ginormous that um, it wouldn't fit side by side, and so you want to put it one on top of the other. Um,
2: yeah, I think those are that's yeah. great low hanging fruit there. Uh, things like in, in, uh, increasing contrast and button shapes, all those kinds of switches, you can again just turn them all on and just make sure that your app doesn't look weird um, and, and that it functions like it's supposed to. Uh, and I think really the biggest thing is, like Dimitri said, sort of having a basically starting from a place where you have a fairly standard UI that will help. Of course, SwiftUI kind of throws a wrench in all of that because there really is <laughs> sure. no standard on SwiftUI, so we're going to have to kind of see how that evolves with, with how to how to build an accessible app in SwiftUI. Um, but for UIKit, anyway. Uh, like you said, turn all the switches on, and and I almost feel like it's the same kind of thing. Where like you want to give your app to someone that is not you, that is not on your development team, that is not close to it, right? You want that they always, you always use like your grandma as like the as the right the architect, like, a, like normal person, a normal person, a developer anybody who's not a developer, right? Who's not sort of really closely tied to the project because they will give you a fairly unvarnished, unbiased uh and fairly i'm going to use the word ignorant and what i mean by that is just sort of like they just aren't aware right they they haven't been involved in all the decisions so that that ignorance actually is useful because it allows them yeah. to see it with these very fresh eyes and they can they can explain to you their perception of the experience of using the app and it is untainted by sort of the development process which can often you know kind of ruin things for you being objective about like whether it's any good or not right so that's always a good thing to give it to people like that and have them try it i feel like the exact same thing is true in particular if you don't use these accessibility features you're not going to be very good at it you're not going to know how to use it that well and i think i feel like in some ways that is almost a good thing because it forces you to be really really clear and straightforward with your ui so that you can navigate it and if you can if i can do it at at one tenth the speed an experienced sure. accessibility user can do it at four x speed, and and it's going to be amazing. But I do feel like um, if you want the gold standard for making sure that it's right, I think there's really no substitute, ultimately, for seeking out. You know, maybe even like the paid counsel of somebody who maybe does use those features, maybe who is blind or whatever, and maybe mm-hmm. they even. And I've heard yeah. of. Of people that are like, um, you know, I'm a blind tech user and I actually contract my time to help you test your accessibility features inside your app. And so I'll help you figure that out. And I, who knows better than someone who uses these things all day long because I'm blind, right? So like that, right? I I feel like that probably is like the gold standard because that way you, you know for a fact that it's going to work because it's someone from the community that can tell you. Um, and ideally you want to pay those people. If, if you, if you, you know, if it's your buddy and they're willing to do it for free, sure. I guess that's fine. <laughs> but like, if you're trying to contact someone, definitely pay them, always pay people, <laughs> always pay them yes. for their time and their expertise, no matter what it is. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's the best thing. And then like the next best thing basically is you bubbling through. Cause if, if you can figure it out, then certainly they will be able to, um, right. but yeah, basically turn everything on, It'll be crazy when you do that because it'll have everything turned on. <laughs> Maybe not everything, but like, turn a bunch of things on and make sure that it doesn't break. Like, like that's, I feel like that's the minimum, basically, that you can do is, is just turn everything on and make sure it doesn't break. And if you've done that, unfortunately, you've done more than most people do, right? right. You've, yeah. <laughs> most people don't do that. It's funny so, to say
0: that as unfortunately.
2: <laughs> but, well, I mean, it's unfortunate because I wish more people mm-hmm. did. But, but the good thing is that you've done more than most people will – more developers will do um, to test yep. that stuff, even just turning it on and seeing what happens. Right. And Xcode and
0: makes it really easy too. Like there's that little bar in the debugger where you can just click on it, and get a little pop-up of all the major accessibility features. You can just turn on and off. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the accessibility inspector is there too. Although mm-hmm. that that bar is way nice. Even changing like at the very least to dark mode or something, but going yeah. into dynamic type and stuff. Um, I just wanted to say for anyone listening and kind of preparing for this, I, I was just looking and seeing like, oh, I wonder, you know. It, how many not if but how many um videos like WWDC videos Apple has on accessibility and there's a video every year at least one since 2015. Wow. Um, so we've got a, a slew of uh like references if you ever want to look at something. It goes from dynamic type to uh kind of uh how to actually uh test your apps uh it even goes into how to uh do accessibility for Catalyst and uh Swift UI. Uh let's see, I thought there was another kind of cool one.
2: So to find those better, did you just like go to the video section and then type in the accessibility or
1: Yes, just, yeah, in the Apple developer app on your Mac or on your iPhone, you should be able to find it in just right in the search bar on the top left. I just typed in accessibility and it's got a bunch of them. So um, definitely you can make use of those videos. Um, Of course, coming from Apple as sort of the first party source that uh, like we've talked about, they are uh, so heavily invested and they've done quite a lot for us uh, to have these accessibility features. It would be great to kind of learn directly from them. Yeah. How you could actually implement a lot of this, uh, into, into your apps. So, uh, definitely check those out. I know I will be, um, I'm like, as I've said before, I'm in the middle of refactoring, uh, one of my apps. And one of the things I was doing, um, a couple weeks ago was implementing dynamic type and making. So, um, the label of like, uh, the color that is selected, uh, is, will grow in the cell, um, based on the dynamic type. So even if it, they're on the absolute cranked up max accessibility, like accessibility, extra, extra, extra large or whatever it is, the cell will also resize. And so it still looks good. Um, and so I'm really excited to kind of dive in and get into those features of, uh, you know, doing voiceover and those kinds of things. So uh, just want to kind of shout out that there are plenty of resources for, for, um, for accessibility just first party, not to mention, I'm sure Uh, the, you know, dozens of blog posts and and whatnot that they're also uh, online as well. Right.
0: And even if you can't afford to pay someone to help you get this 100% right the first time, even stumbling through yourself, that is going to be more than enough to get accessibility users using your app and giving Mm -hmm. you feedback. You're going to notice that your accessibility users are probably going to be some of your best and most patient users because they are... They know that what they uh, need is not something that most developers are necessarily going to put a whole ton of effort in, uh, so they are going to be patient with you um, and you should definitely be patient with them because they are some of the biggest word of mouth spreaders of your app and if right. like nothing else convince you but a business reason, like they are paying users and they yeah. are more than happy to tell all their friends that your mm-hmm. app is the only app that works exactly. in that right. in that field. Uh, So uh, that can be a good amount of success that you can see just from that. And I hate to say that that's like the only reason you should do it because it's completely not. Uh, But if you needed an only reason, that could be one of them. Um, And that brings up one final point I wanted to make uh, is that you often hear uh, from many people like ask your grandma or ask your four-year-old child to uh, test your app. And if they can use it, then you're good. I want to caution against that because... You want to get the people that are going to be your customers to be trying out your app. Your grandma's not going to know the specifics about what your app does. And probably it won't apply to her problem set uh, to really be able to understand or like see how what you're doing is more intuitive than the other way of doing it. So be very careful uh, when people tell you to do that because yes, it could apply to some mass market ideas, but very few of us have mass market ideas that are going to te- take off. In reality, we're going to have very focused ideas that are going to solve a certain problem set. Make sure that you have people that that would solve their problem test it. Um, and don't just rely on like either extreme of uh, either people that grew, lived their entire life and then added technology at the very end of it and therefore don't know how to use technology very well, or... On the opposite extreme, they're so patient to try out every button and learn it so quickly uh, that it kind of makes it feel silly when people say, ask your kid to uh, use an app. They're going to press everything and they're going to figure <laughs> out everything. Um, and if anything is dangerous, they're going to cause it to blow up in a way. Right. Um, yeah. But they're not going to not figure it out. So that is like the wrong problem set that people often pose. Is like, oh, if they can figure it out, then you're good. No, they're going to figure out anything. Uh, because they're just more patient and more exploratory, uh, towards what your app can provide. So they're going to figure it out just like a lot of us, we figured out how to program because we were curious enough to press all the buttons and see our computer explode multiple times. (laughs) Um, so I
2: think um, it's a, I think it's a, it's a good step. Like, I don't think people should not necessarily do it at all, but I, but mm -hmm. I totally agree with you that it should not be the only step, right? Like that's a good way to kind of find bugs. But it's yeah. not like you said; it's not a great way to sort of determine like product market fit and stuff like that. Because your kid is probably not your market unless you're making a, uh, an app designed for children. They're a great bug finder, but they're not necessarily going to tell you whether the app, whether the, like the product is any good, right? And that's right. Yeah, that's what you're. I think what you're getting at. Yeah.
1: We something. Um, sorry, just to close out this no, this topic. Um, something that I really enjoyed that we did at the the previous boot camp I worked at. Um, was because it was an in-person boot camp, we would uh, we would do you know our project time where the students would have their own kind of ideas and everything. And one part of that that uh, design process of, of kind of just you know project planning was coming up with your you know your per, the persona that would use this app. And what we would do is we would go uh, have them make some really low fidelity mockups. We go up the street to the mall and try to find people that would fit that and what i would always tell them is like um if you've ever walked into something like a walgreens or something and you've seen those just absolutely massive they're like a foot and a half large um tv remotes with buttons that are the size of your fist um that was clearly designed for a person where it's like right. it's some probably someone that's old that doesn't have great vision Uh, and that they should kind of try to mold that into their app's experience. So having, uh, like you've both said, uh, you know, your specific user in mind is going to be obviously the best thing that you can do. Um, If they're very technically adept, uh, they can, uh, technologically adept, sorry, they can, you know, work their way around an app, like the app I like to think of is Snapchat. For me, Mm -hmm. it's like, It's such a weird app and it's like, it doesn't really make sense. It's all of these swipe gestures. And it's like, if you put that in the hands of like a 60 year old person, they wouldn't know what to do. But, you know, a teenager or someone in their early twenties would be like, oh yeah, yeah, like I grew up with this, this is normal. Um, So definitely thinking about who your, uh, who that persona is would be a great way of thinking about how can I design my app and make the experience the best that it can be for my given user assuming like you said it's not just like some mass market app
0: yeah it reminds me of infomercials like we don't have those anymore but uh, back in the day you would just leave the tv (laughs) on for no reason because you can't sleep uh, and an infomercial would come on uh, and it would show like these seemingly normal people fail at you doing normal things and then there's like (laughs) this ridiculous product that would help them that's not for normal people it's being sold to normal people to generate enough income to solve a very specific problem for someone who can't do things normally. Uh, and it's a tremendous product and a lifesaver for that subsection, but we're kind of adverse to showing it in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like throughout our culture, like body shaming and things like that. Like we don't wanna show the imperfect human using a product, but mm-hmm. that kind of hides the fact that there are, we're all imperfect. Like there's no perfect individual. Um, and no one therefore sees themselves using that product because it's only for the, the pristine, perfect diamond uh, of a person, <laughs> sure. um, and it's, it's kind of unfortunate in that regard. So you, like, as a final, final point, if you add accessibility mm-hmm. features, show your accessibility features at work. No one's going to yeah. know that your app is magically accessible uh because most apps aren't. So yeah. like people can try randomly, but you can just say, "Hey, my app is fully accessible. Here's a video of uh it working." The people that are going to need that are going to be so happy that it's there. Um, so always think about all those different uh aspects. Very true. Um so uh that said, that was our topic for uh the week, and this week's episode is brought to you by Sticky Widgets. Uh, Sticky Widgets is the absolute easiest way to put a sticky note on your home screen and edit it quickly. It's so easy you never need to open the app itself. Add a sticky widget to your home screen through the iOS home screen editor and tap on it to edit. That's about it. Of course there's tons of customization options as well. Font, color, text size, alignment, all conveniently located in the system's edit widget interface. Add as many sticky widgets as you'd like or put them in a smart stack. Sticky Widgets are digital sticky notes for your phone. Use them however you'd like. Here's a pro tip for Code Completionists. Need a quick shopping list, but it's hard to access your phone while wearing a mask? Just put a widget in the today view and swipe over from the lock screen and it couldn't be easier. Sticky Widgets is a free download on the App Store and additional font and color options are available for a one-time in-app purchase. Thank you so much for Sticky Widgets for sponsoring Code Completion. Check out Sticky Widgets on the iOS App Store today. So now that we've gone through everything, it's time for code, uh, complete the code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Ben, can you take it away?
2: Sure. As a quick aside on that sticky widget thing, that is such a cool app idea. I would never have thought to do that, but that is—it's really cool that like Apple, you know, is making the widget thing available. Which yes, we know Android had it forever, and yada yada yada. <laughs> it's new for us on iOS. So what's really cool is that I'm sure Apple probably hasn't – didn't think of half the things people have already invented yeah. to use with the widgets. And it's just so cool, like, having this, like, almost new renaissance of, like, explosion of creativity um, mm-hmm. in building – people are calling them, like, micro apps where, you know, maybe the app itself isn't even that great, but, like, it has an amazing widget. Um, uh, and I think that's just really cool. So. It's, that's yeah,
0: and Sticky widgets actually inspired an app that I'm currently working on, so hopefully nice. I'll get it out in a few days. Um, awesome. But like each one of these is kind of inspiring others, yeah. uh, and it's yeah. a whole new totally. little ecosystem, so it's yeah. really cool. fun.
2: All right, so let's jump to complete the code. Um, last week, we had a question related to a struct that uh, that we named folder. It had three properties, a name property that was a string, parent property that was of type folder optional and then a variable that was an array of folder objects and the question was uh, why is it okay to have a variable called children that is an array of folder objects Uh, And why is it not okay? What is the problem? What's the technical limitation that prevents um, the structure uh, folder from having a variable called parent that is uh, of type folder optional? And so our winner for this week is John Bash, and he writes on Twitter, "Um, even if the value is nil, optional has to allocate the amount of space needed for the type. When it tries to figure out how much space to allocate, it has to recursively account for the possibility of a parent at every level leading to an infinite size um, and therefore uh, it doesn't work. So he also writes here, whereas array is allocated dynamically, it starts with a certain minimum finite amount of space, and it only grows larger uh, Then it will, uh, uh, well, only if it grows larger, will it then reallocate more memory. So that's why the array of children is fine, but the optional uh, link back to, to a folder as a parent is not allowed, and it's due to the recursive nature of the uh, memory allocation. So um, great job. And John actually also writes that he had to look this one up. So good job for looking it up and finding the solution. Uh, and uh, this coming question here that's that's coming up in just a minute, uh, if you have an idea for how it might be solved, tweet at us um, with the hashtag uh, complete the code. And if you get it right, we'll mention you in a future episode. So this week we've got um, a structure uh, similar, a struct called processing coordinator, and it does some stuff. Um, and we have this separate enum that we want to create That has a raw type of error and then has some cases. And the question basically is, uh, we want to find out what the uh, we want this error type to be usable um, as a as processing error. Sorry, processing coordinator dot error. And so, what changes would you make to the code snippet that we provide to allow for that? Um, Given a struct called processing coordinator, would we would have to add we would like to add a nested error type that conforms to error so we can refer to it as processing coordinator dot error at the call site. Basically making it a, a subtype uh, inside the struct. What is the cleanest way to go about this? So take a look on screen if you're watching the video. Um, check out the uh, the chapter art if you're listening to this as a podcast. And if you think you know the answer, tweet at us um, at the co-completion uh, account and then complete the code as your hashtag.
0: Thank you, Ben. Um, and one thing I want to point out too is it's somewhat tricky and swift dealing with structs which are value types and classes which are reference types uh, because not all of the structs we're using are truly value types in that all the memory that they allocate are just right then and there. Arrays and dictionaries and even some strings are all reference types under the hood. So you have a value type that represents the reference uh, and then the reference is pointing somewhere else in memory. So That's kind of why just sticking an array in there is completely fine because It has a static amount of memory that it uses, um, and it's leaving the rest of it uh, for somewhere else in uh, the memory to kind of deal with all of that. Uh, So with all of that out of the way, it's time for Compiler Error, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionist knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. Uh, So that's the last week's one. Give me one moment. There we go. All right. Okay, so uh, we have uh, four uh, statements this week, and they're all related to Swift literals. So let's go through them one by one. Uh, So by using extended delimiters for string literals, all special characters, including the backslash, will be represented as normal characters. Number two, not limited to optionals, any type can conform to expressible by nil literal to have a special initializer called if nil is used along with that type. Number three, like integer literals, floating point literals can be expressed in binary, octal, decimal, or hexadecimal forms. And statement number four, although dictionaries prohibit it, expressible by dictionary literal allows for multiple entries with the same key. So uh, Ben, since you (laughs) have a streak uh, currently, uh, let's have you go first.
2: I feel like that streak might be over. <laughs> this oh, come one, on, this one's an easy one. <laughs> this, oh. one looks, this one looks rough. I was struggling to even keep up with what you were saying uh, the first time through. So let's take a look. Uh, number one, um, extended, by using extended delimiters for string literals, all special characters, including the backslash, will be represented as normal characters. Sounds reasonable. <laughs> I'm just gonna, we'll just move on. Uh, not limited to optionals, any type that can, can conform to expressible but nil literal. To have a special initializer called if nil is used along with that type. Again, seems reasonable. Uh, I'm I'm looking for anything that seems obviously wrong. Uh, Like integer literals, floating point literals can be expressed in binary, octal, decimal, or hexadecimal forms. So I feel like with that one, either it's the case that one of those is maybe not available or some of them are not available for floating points. Or... uh, Like, either it's patently wrong or that you're hiding a mistake somewhere in the implementation details, which is something that you like to do, Dimitri. So, Uh, again, (laughs) seems reasonable, but... uh, You need to use
0: your master debugging skills. I know. It's a small Um, little error.
2: Yeah, right. It's a comma out of place and it's ruining everything. Um, (laughs) So, um, yeah, I do know that you can express... I don't know about floating point. I feel like, why not? Why wouldn't they make it a, make a way for you to express a floating point literal in binary or octal or decimal or hexadecimal? I mean, certainly you can do it in decimal because that's what we normally use. Um, but why wouldn't we be able to express them in the other three uh, bases? So that seems reasonable. Uh, although dictionaries are prohibited, expressible by dictionary literal allows for multiple entries within with the same key. Expressible by... Hmm. So that is true. The dictionaries prohibit multiple entries with the same key, that's kind of the whole point, right? Because they're key referenced, so if you didn't have unique keys, you wouldn't be able to find uniquely find a value. But then why would they allow ex- if expressible why would then that allow you to just have multiple entries with the same key? That seems that seems wrong. But I don't feel confident with any of these, so <laughs> I'm just gonna say four because why not? Uh, but I, I am I'm not feeling great about it, so Four is my answer.
0: Okay. Spencer.
1: Good luck. I, yeah, I have no idea on any of these. Um, I think number one is fine. I think for example, if, if a special character being something like backslash n for like a new line, if you did backslash backslash n, then it would put backslash and in the string. So I think that's fine. Um, I I don't know about every special character, but I've, I'm fairly confident about that one. So I think that's, uh, that's not the, uh, the error. Uh, Ooh, yeah. This is where I expressible nil literal have a special initializer. Like mm -hmm, I'm kind of hovering between two and four here. It's either one of these protocols I think is, is the issue. Um, I'll have a special initializer called if nil is used along ooh I don't know and then with uh, although a dictionary is prohibited expressible by dictionary literal allows for multiple entries with the same key if it's using a dictionary to express some value then because it's using a dictionary, it couldn't have multiple keys or multiple entries. I think, if I'm thinking about that right. So I think I'm also going to go with four on this one with a close second of number two, even though that isn't a thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If only, right? I know, right? Can we
1: just say, like, can I say all four of them?
0: All four of them are wrong. (laughs) If only. Uh, So let's go in order, uh, since you all think, uh, since you both think number one is true. uh, So what is an extended delimiter? Do either of you know what that is?
2: I'd assume it's
1: like another backslash.
2: I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a delimiter would be, in this case, a backslash, but...
0: So, not true. No. The the delimiter is going to be the quote itself that Uh, eliminates where the string starts and stops. Yeah, right, okay. So, an extended delimiter is that pound quote and then Mm. double quote pound Uh, uh, syntax. And it allows you to have just a naked backslash in the middle of your string which means there's no special characters other than quote pound and if you have a quote pound in your string you would do pound pound quote and then quote pound pound to deliminate it okay so that means that you're both right uh and that number one is in fact uh a code completion (laughs) right for
2: the wrong reasons all right (laughs) yep exactly
0: uh, so let's go with uh, number two, which, Spencer, you uh, had a close second with. Um, so expressible by nil literal, is that even a protocol? It is, I'm, indeed. That is the question. I thought it was.
2: That is the question.
0: So it is indeed uh, a protocol, and I was surprised that it was, uh, because that basically means you can say var my variable of type my special type non-optional equals nil, uh, and it would call in it with nil value, essentially, Mm. Um, and you don't take any arguments there, uh, but uh, if you implement that initializer, then uh, you can go ahead and have a special case uh, for setup Mm. purposes, where you initialize your object with something that is obviously not nil, uh, but you initialize it in the nil case. Um, Now, (laughs) I don't know why you'd want to use that other than if you're re-implementing optionals, uh, but have at it. Uh, So this brings us to number three. So like integer literals, floating point literals can be expressed in binary, octal, decimal, and hexadecimal forms. Uh, So Ben, you had some doubts about this. Uh, If you were to uh, set up the Swift uh, language and you Mm -hmm. were setting up floating point literals, uh, Mm -hmm. which forms would you allow for? Or which forms do you think would be the ones that are allowed if this one were wrong?
2: Uh, well, I mean, decimal for sure, because it's kind of the one that we tend to work in, right? Uh, would scientific notation be considered a form of that? I mean, like, expressing it as a literal, right, where you use, like, E and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then I feel like hex might be useful. I I mean, I basically, be, I never, I pretty much never need to work in binary or octal, so i I don't see much value there, but but then again, you know, I'm sure there is. Um, so, I I mean, I would say that you'd you'd want to be able to express literal values for both integers and floating point values uh, with all four of these forms, but I certainly could be convinced otherwise.
0: What about you, Spencer?
2: To be completely honest,
1: like my knowledge here is pretty limited. I've never seen a hexadecimal number b have a have floating point values so to me i agree it would be like decimal uh, scientific if if that was a part of it and then like binary i suppose i don't know to be completely honest with you
0: so uh the scientific notation is part of uh the binary um okay no sorry i don't know what i'm saying the scientific notation is part of decimal <laughs> right. uh where you have something to the power of 10 Mm -hmm. hence the decimal. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so that one is, as you said, part of the language. Hexadecimal is also part of the language, so you can express 0xFF dot, I guess, FF. Uh, I don't know what kind of number that would represent, (laughs) 256 point, I guess, 99999. (laughs) Um, Not too sure in that regard. Uh, So hexadecimal is possible. Uh, but binary and octal are actually not available mm. in Swift. So you can have a binary or octal integer, but you cannot have a binary or octal representation of hmm. a floating point number. Uh, and I assume it's probably because it confuses too many people. Uh, yeah, like we don't even know what a hexadecimal uh, look like without really looking <laughs> yeah. it up. Um So that one is the compiler error. Uh, so you're uh, so close.
2: My stroke is my my streak is over.
0: And that means, of course, uh, that although dictionaries prohibited, expressible by dictionary literal allows for multiple entries with the same key and this works because the initializer does not take a dictionary as an argument. it takes a key value um what's that called when you have an argument list where you don't have like um, a specific number of entries oh, that are variadic, like dot, dot? yeah very variadic like variadic parameter or yeah. yeah. Uh, it's probably parameters. I have no idea. Don't trust me. Um, but <laughs> uh, I only do enough research to make sure if it's true or false. <laughs> um, so it uses an, an initializer with variadic parameters where each entry is a key value pair. So you essentially end up with an array of tuples of key value pairs in the order that the user typed them in, which is totally uh, possible to have multiple entries with the same key. Uh, and then you can decide if you want to save this in a dictionary, if you want to, um, hmm. like, combine options into subarrays sure. and things like that. So hmm. you can do whatever you want with that uh, hmm. after the fact, which I found quite cool. Uh, yes. So uh, thank you, both of you, for playing this week. Uh, I'm sorry that broke your streak, uh, Ben. <laughs>
2: I knew it was, it was it was bound to get hard soon. Like, <laughs> I knew that, that those couple of ones that I got right were not not going to last.
0: And I thought this one was an easy one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was rooting for you.
2: <laughs> almost. We almost got it.
0: Okay. So as always, I want to thank uh, everyone for watching live and listening in this week. We'll be streaming every Friday. So be sure to follow us uh, at, on Twitter at Code Completion uh, to know when new episodes go live and get released. Um, I am just reminded uh, that We might not actually be streaming every Friday uh, from now on. We're still thinking about what's the best day to kind of make uh, the show happen. So we might be moving it around. Uh, So if it's not next Friday, uh, I did not lie to you. Uh, (laughs) This this is your disclosure. Uh, But we will let you know on Twitter uh, well in advance, uh, unlike uh, yesterday. We kind of uh, time escaped us, uh, so we had to move it to today. Uh, But in any case, be sure to also sign up for our monthly newsletter on our website at codecompletion.io, where one day uh, I will recap the topics (laughs) we discussed and reveal all the answers to complete the code uh, and share even more things we learn between episodes. Uh, And most importantly, as a new podcast uh, that's not so new given we've been going for two months, uh, please be (laughs) sure to share this with your friends and family uh, who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. Uh, it's your support that enables us to continue doing this, uh, and we hope to grow a healthy community around these topics. Um, if you have any topics that you are interested in us discussing, uh, tweet at us. We are more than happy to uh, tailor what we're talking about to who's listening. So if you have something uh, that you think would make for an interesting discussion, uh, let us know, and we'd be more than happy to consider it. Uh, so once again, I want to give my thanks to Ben, who is at Fairsky That's F-E-R-R-O-U-S-G-U-Y on Twitter. Uh, And Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri, and you can find me at Dimitri Bunil. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Be sure to subscribe to Ben. He's, like, two followers away from 700. He really wants that number. (laughs) (laughs) So subscribe. Like, uh, like, comment, subscribe. Uh, Smash the the like
2: button, guys. (laughs) See you next time. See ya.